Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with author and speaker John Bevere. Well, Matt, it's great to meet you. Great to talk to you too, mate. I've, I've been a big fan for years. Well, thank you for the honour of being able to speak to the Australian people. I just love you guys all so much, and I love being down here. So this is just going to be fun. Fantastic. Tell me some of your favourite things about Australia. Me? Um, you know, I was just asked that question by um, somebody in Singapore last week. They, they said to me, they said, oh, they said if, if I had anywhere I could go, it would be New Zealand because it's such a beautiful country. And I said, yes, it's such a beautiful country. And they said, well, why do you like Australia so much? And I said, it's one answer. It's not the land. It's not the water. It's not anything. It's the people. They're just amazing. You guys have such a, a great outlook on life. I mean, just think of it. Australians were raised saying good day. <laughs> you know, they, they, they don't think bad. They, they, think, they think positively. And I just love that. You know, it just seems like just the way they look at life in general is just so healthy. Fantastic, mate. Thank you for the encouragement. I reckon we're a pretty good bunch too. <laughs> now, uh, now, John, you're well known for uh, speaking, preaching, travelling around the world, speaking at conferences and churches. Um, my wife and I have been so blessed uh, by series like The Honours Reward and uh, books like The Bait of Satan, uh, well known all over the world. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your conversion. Now, I understand you had a Catholic upbringing. Tell us about your conversion experience. Well, I was, uh, I was raised Catholic, and I never missed Mass. I remember a Catholic priest saying when I was in third grade that if a person missed Mass and they weren't sick and they don't confess it, they'll end up in hell. So it put a real fear in me, and so I never missed. And I'd even go to um, parties at midnight in college, and I'd be a little drunk, go to the midnight Mass, and then go back to the party after the midnight Mass so I wouldn't have to get up the next morning with a hangover. <laughs> so it was very religious. Well, in my college uh, fraternity... Uh, one of my fraternity brothers was an excellent athlete, and athletics was a big, is a big part of my life. I played varsity tennis at Purdue University, which is Division One over there, and played Junior Davis Cup. And this guy was just an extraordinary athlete, and he always had in his hand a 7-Up or a Coke. He never had a beer like we all did or getting himself silly drunk, you know, is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, he came to my room one day, and he looked at me, and he said, John, I just want to chat with you for a few minutes. And I was just so honored that he'd come to my room. He was older than me and just such a great athlete. And I said, sure. And he said, uh, can you tell me about the President of the United States? And I said, yeah, his name is Jimmy Carter. His wife's Rosalind. He's a peanut farmer from Georgia. He said, great. Can you tell me about Jesus? I said, sure. He died of a, on a cross. He was born of a virgin. He had 12 apostles. He said, that's great. And he said, do you know President Jimmy Carter like you know your mother? And I said, no. He said, well, what's the difference? I said, well, I know my mom. I've never met President Carter. And so then he looked at me and he said, so you have a relationship with your mom because you know her personally, but you know about President Carter, but you don't have a relationship with him because you've never met him personally. And I said, yeah, exactly, that's right. He said, so do you know Jesus Christ like you know your mother? And I remember just stopping and looking at him, just completely captivated by what he had just said. And I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, John, God didn't put you on this earth so you could know about him. He put you on this earth so you could know him. And then began to share with me the gospel. And for the first time in my life, my eyes were opened up. In January 1979, I gave my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord, Master, and Savior. And never looked back and never will look back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad you did because I know you've blessed so many with your uh, preaching and teaching. Now, well, you, know, you know, Matt, let me say this. You know, I'm doing what you're doing. God gives all of us gifts, and 
all he expects us to do is to be faithful with the gifts of grace that he puts in our life. I mean, I, seriously, I mean, you're talking about the books and all this, and I look at the books, and I, I sincerely look at them and say, my name is on this cover of this book because I was the first guy to get to read it. Hmm. And I firmly believe the Holy Spirit is the one that gave the ability to, to write those messages, to preach the messages, and you're, what you're doing in your life's work and the way you're touching so many lives, Matt, is the grace of God on you. And I think that God did that so that we could all admire the amazing work that He He does in each of our lives and the gifts He gives in each of our lives so that we can celebrate each other. So thank you for what you're saying, but it truly, from the bottom of my heart, it, God gets all the glory. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful to hear. Now, your, uh, your wife also preaches and teaches and, and has an active role in ministry as well. How did you guys first meet? <laughs> I was my senior year of college. And uh, I'm going to give you the true story. Um, I was a fraternity guy, and we had our own house. But because I finished in summer school, I had to live in the dormitory, which is where everybody lived. Well, my wife was a student at University of Arizona, but her family lived where my university was, which was in Indiana, Purdue University. And she and her mother were in such a fight now, such disagreement and, and so much strife that she uh, ended up taking a couple courses at Purdue at the summer, and she moved into the dorm because she didn't want to be near her mother. Well, what happened was I didn't know any of this. I was in the dorm getting lunch one day, and Lisa, I was sitting at the table, and Lisa came up to the lunch line, and I looked at her legs, and I said, God, that has got to be the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. I pray that my wife would be that beautiful. And uh, it was particularly her legs that caught my attention. <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, what happened was I sat with her a few days later at the table, and she was talking about partying and getting drunk and coming in at 7 and 8 and dating this, this football player and this baseball player. And I thought, wow, this girl's in another world. So because I got to know her, I just started joking around with her, messing with her. You know, because I knew there would be no connection because she was in another world. So what happened was she came up to me one day and said, you know, I think my mom is in a cult. And then I found out her mom was actually a a Christian. She said, somebody told me that I need to talk to you about it. So what what happened was I invited her out, asked her out for a date. And uh, about midnight, we started walking on the campus. And I started telling her the gospel. And I remember she shook my hand about 1.30 in the morning and said, do I need a Bible to do this? And I said, do what? She said, what you're talking about, getting saved. And I said, I'm not done telling you about it yet. And she said, I don't care. I want to do it right now. So she got saved at 1.30 in the morning on July the 18th, 1981. We walked back to her room. And the next morning she woke up and was making her bed, and the Lord spoke to her and said, The man that led you to me will be your husband, and you'll preach the gospel together all over the world. Now, she didn't tell me that until after I proposed to her uh, a while later, but uh, she knew within 24 hours that I would be her husband. Wow, that's a great story. It's like evangelistic dating, hey? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not an advocate of it, Matt, but, uh, you know, it's certainly how it happened with Lisa and I. It was quite amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I know she has blessed uh, so many uh, people around the world. I know uh, she's spoken at Color Conference at at Hillsong, uh, traveled quite a bit as well, hasn't she? She has. And, you know, I just sent her an email this morning. You know, because I was missing her, I was out praying before, you know, early in the morning, and I'm I'm seeing if I can uh, find the email that I sent to my wife. But I just told her, I said, I have got to be one of the most blessed men on the face of the earth, 
because I'm married to one of the wisest and most beautiful women that I know, and she is. The thing about Lisa is um, she's, she's young, she acts young, and yet she walks in the wisdom of, of a very, very mature woman of God. And I think that combination is just amazing. My wife has kept me young because um, I, I started acting old about 10 years ago uh, when I was approaching my 40th birthday, and she kept acting like she was 20 years old, but she was walking in the wisdom of a 55-year-old. And one day I realized, you know what? This, this old business is for the birds. You know, you, you know my, my slogan now is I want to live long and I want to die young. Mm. I don't want to die an old man. <laughs> I want to die old in age but young in heart. And um, I've really come to realize this, Matt, that, that many people grow old in their mind because society just says you're supposed to. And my wife was such a great role model to me, um, how she could walk in such amazing wisdom but yet act like she was in her 20s. Mm. That's one of my favorite quotes, John. If the young were wise and the old enthusiastic, the world would be paradise. Oh, it'd be amazing. <laughs> it'd be amazing. I love that quote. Now, you two uh, got together, started out in ministry at some stage. What was the key for you? Like, how, how did you get launched into ministry? Uh, here's the, here was our answer, and I believe this is the answer for everybody. We got involved in serving in the ministry, and particularly our local church. Uh, sometimes it may occur where you're serving in another a ministry, such as uh, uh, like what we have. But God's normal plan is when we get plugged into the local church. Um, if you look at Philip, he was um, had a call in his life of being a great evangelist, but his pastors asked him to work in the church restaurant and to serve widows food and to wash their dirty dishes, and he did it for years. And at the end of the book of Acts, he's, he's a worldwide evangelist. Mm. If Philip would have been American, I don't know if we would have read about him. Because a lot of us Americans, what we do is we think, uh, oh, there's a call in my life. i got to go out and start. But what God put in my heart was is I went to my local church, which was a pretty big-sized church. It was about 8,000. And um, I just served. I, I was an usher, and I worked in the detention ministry. We went to prisons for youth, and, and we preached the gospel to them. And then one day the pastor's wife came up to me and she said, you know, somebody told me that you're an excellent tennis player, that you played Junior Davis Cup and were a tennis pro, and would you teach Would you teach my kids how to play tennis? And I said, absolutely. So I started teaching her kids how to play tennis. And one thing led into another, which led into another, and eventually my pastor launched us into what we're doing right now. Oh, that's such a good story. And, you know, I'm a pastor, John. Uh, that's music to my ears <laughs> to hear that, you know, people are called to serve in the local church. Well, you know, um, Matt, there's a lot of callings, and I say this with a very sad heart in saying it, but there's a lot of people that have great callings on their lives, but they'll never walk in those great things because they didn't start out serving. Mm, mm. And it's it's really an amazing thing to me. You know, Jesus made a statement. He said, many are called, but only few are chosen or selected. And the reason few are chosen or selected is because few will pay the price to walk the route that God has ordained us to walk to get to where we're going. Mm. If you look at Moses, he's on the backside of the desert for 40 years, um, training for, for his ministry. John the Baptist is in the desert for, for years, training for a six-month ministry. David is a servant to Saul and, and actually is mistreated by Saul, but he stays faithful and loyal to Saul, and he ends up being the greatest leader of Israel. And you could go on and on and on and on and on. This is just God's way of doing it. Elisha serves Elijah. You've got Joshua serving Moses. Timothy serving Paul, Titus serving Paul, and it's God's way. And um, the thing that I, I love about it is now in hindsight, I've got a staff of over 50 people, 
And I tenderly and dearly love these people and value these people because I know the sacrifice that they made because I did it for seven years in serving mm. others. And mm. I know what, the, the, what they face, what they go through. And having lived through that, I think it keeps me in the place where I'm, re- I'm able to relate to the people that work with me, relate to people in general, and also stay in a place of humility. Mm. Mm. That's wonderful. Now, John, we're just about out of time. Uh, I really want to just uh, touch on something. That, that there might be people listening right now that are thinking, you know, this guy uh, has got some incredible words of wisdom. He's got something that uh, I need. There might be people that are listening that are far away from God right now. Uh, would you speak to those listeners and, and, and maybe talk to them about how they could reconnect with God? Absolutely. You know, to you that feel that you're disconnected with God, the first thing that's keeping you disconnected is the fact that you think that God doesn't want you back or that God never wanted you. And that is totally opposite of the truth. The truth of the matter is that God gave Jesus Christ, His only Son, to pay the price for your judgment. Here, we are the ones that got ourselves into trouble. We are the ones that committed sins worthy of death, worthy of burning in hell. But yet God said, I'm going to pay the price because I don't want you to have to suffer that. That's not what religion teaches men. Religion teaches men that you've got to beat yourself up and you've got to punish yourself. And if you're even close to worthy, then maybe a God will look at you favorably. But that's not the way the God of heaven and earth is. He reached out and he loved us first. And Jesus died for us. The only thing that God asks us to do is to give our heart to Jesus Christ, to give the lordship of our life to Jesus. Lordship simply means that he becomes the supreme in authority in our life. It carries the meaning of ownership. So, Matt, let's pray this together. How about if you pray with them and I'll, I'll lead? Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Yep. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. Forgive me. Forgive me. I've lived life. I've lived life my way. My way. In my own strength. In my own strength. Doing my own will. Doing my own will. And it's not worked very well. And it's not worked very well. I repent of this. I repent of this. I will no longer. I will no longer. Serve myself. Serve myself. And live only for myself. And live only for myself. I will now live only for you. I will now live only for you. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I believe. I believe. That you died for me. That you died for me. And you were raised from the dead. And you were raised from the dead. So that I could become a child of God. So that I could become a child of God. From this moment forward. From this moment forward. And forever. And forever. I will serve you as my Lord and my King. I will serve you as my Lord and my King. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. For making me a child of God. For making me a child of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, John, I just uh, really believe that a lot of lives have been touched uh, through praying that prayer. And uh, if people would like to get in contact with you, uh, your website is uh, messengerinternational.org. Is that the right one? Pretty simple, yeah. (laughs) Messengerinternational.org. Or they can call our um, office in Australia. And uh, the number there, I think it's a toll-free number. It's just 1-300-650-577. So it's 1-300-650-577. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us, mate. I reckon you're a history maker. Oh, Matt, you are too, bro. <laughs> and uh, I, I do hope to get to meet you and your wife someday. We'd, lo- we'd love to meet up. God bless. Thanks. Uh, okay, bye now. Well, I hope you've been inspired by today's interview with Pastor John Bevere. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, or you'd like to make a donation, just go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.